like it's i i could go just kind of go deep and like just aristotle the shit out of this where i just <laughs> go a non-ending sentence where i'm just comma 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 and i just build something like 23 clauses deep if you do that i'll edit in a george michael drops so that we can call you the comma <laughs> chameleon there we go yeah deep cuts baby oh that's not george michael but we're, we're good it's boy george boy george damn it same thing boy george michael is that one of those games where you have to take something that has the same first word as the other thing that's the same last word? You just combine them and make something new? My entire life is basically an improv game, let's be real. <laughs> Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. In this episode, we're going to talk about the conclusion of the recent Nicole Bolas storyline in The War of the Spark, and then pull back some and talk about uh, storytelling and magic as a whole, and look at how its narrative structure compares to other media. But first, we have some introductions to make and a question to answer. So I'll have my co-hosts introduce themselves and talk about a story ending that they think is really interesting or, or good. Hi, this is Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. Um, you know, I, ha I have mine is going to actually kind of parallel it itself in part because I think the second show took this idea from the first show and even built upon it in a way that was very beautiful. So the original one was the ending to um, Six Feet Under. And I, I realize we're probably getting into the spoiler territory here, which I'm going to try to talk about this ending in, in actually a very non-spoiler way. Because what it did is a story was um, Six Feet Under basically was a story of a family that ran a mortuary. And each episode kind of dealt with a death of somebody and then kind of used that as the kicking off point for the episode itself. Um, at the end of the show, in the last episode, what they actually did was kind of flash forward to every character in the show's, the main characters, their death date and showed how they died. Oh, wow. Um, and in uh, they don't do it for death, but um, actually they kind of they take it pretty far forward in um, Parks and Rec because they were given a last season later on, and they actually go forward in time, and they show kind of where everybody ends up with their life. Mm -hmm. So much further on than what the show went. I kind of like that as a way to wrap up a show. I mean, with this era of kind of being where they go back and they reboot and redo that, you could still do that without losing what was kind of given there um but 
yeah, that's just something I found to be very interesting for a way to wrap up a show because I think TV shows especially are hard to wrap up. Awesome. And I'm Joe Redman. I can be found on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Um, and I think my favorite ending to a story is actually in a play. Uh, I've been thinking about this play a lot um, lately. It's one of my favorites ever, and it's called Fool for Love by Sam Shepard. Um, and it's all about this former couple, these two ex-lovers who you find out on again, off again throughout a number of years. And there's really tangled history between them. And it's, it's a phenomenal play. Um, but the last image is the sort of ghost isn't the right word, but the sort of like spectral, um, sort of after effect of the main character's father standing in the background, one of the other main characters standing in the foreground with this like, um, with this this like fire effect, like you know, like she's looking out the window at something burning, um, and the main character walking out the door and leaving. And then it's just a monologue about uh, memory and the importance of all that. But it's just such a beautiful image. What the, what it sticks with me is that image of of, of that scene. Um, and I think it's it's a really great and striking way to like end a show. I'm uh, Alex Newman found on Twitter at Alexander Newm. And uh, I'm going to go with a, another TV show. Um, I just recently finished um, rewatching the show The Office. And I think that show, in fairness, the show went on a little, maybe a little bit longer than it, it needed to. But the the ending of it, I thought, was a very good ending um, because it 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 produced it provided closure for everybody um it didn't fast forward through time um like some of the shows like Hobbs was talking about but it did provide a nice sense of closure for all of the characters and it kind of gave a place of where where they all are um and that show was kind of weird because it, it had the whole framing device of they were being filmed for a documentary um and i know that style kind of got used for like parks and rec but they didn't really put it in that framing device they kind of just use that filming style um but in the office throughout the show they you sprinkle it in a little bit here you'll see a character take their mic out or they'll specifically address the camera people and talk to the people behind the camera but the last season they really ramped that up to make it the point that there is a tv show being filmed inside of this tv show and that last season of the show of, of the office is when that show sort of airs. And then that last episode, they fast forward a year and then say, okay, so that, sh- that show aired. Where's everybody at after the show? We bring all the characters mm. together, talk through how the show has ch- kind of changed them or hasn't changed them. And then give a little glimpse of where they're moving, where they're going. This character's going off in that way. This character's already left and they're planning to go back. They just came back for this one day and, so I thought that was a really nice way to wrap up these character arcs without necessarily closing things off, but just kind of saying, okay, this story is done with these characters where they're at. Well, I think also um, really pulling in um, the marriage of a character that you may not have expected and kind of allowing yeah. to celebrate that that character. Yes. And finally dealing with this issue of kind of like this idea that we are on a TV show. 
I, yeah. it, it is very nice that you know that, that that's what was going on the entire time that show was going on so yeah it, it was always the tongue-in-cheek thing like when is this gonna air haha yeah and 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 not just the last episode but the last couple episodes yeah. they talk a little bit about the ramifications to the characters to the mm-hmm. people who are being filmed um and they and this the closing line which strikes me every time and then i forget mm-hmm. it some amount of time after i've watched it but one of the one of the characters just says like why did you pick a paper company like that's the whole point it's like they just work at a paper company they sell paper, printer paper but and, and so she said you know why did you pick a paper company or nothing and i can't remember her exact words but it's like we're nothing big and fancy and then she kind of came to the conclusion well you know maybe it's because there's beauty in simple things and you wanted to show that and that that's kind of where they just end and the, the last shot of the show is just this plain office building that they have worked in for nine years of their life in the show and nine years in the show in yeah. the real world like the show went on for nine years and they they kind of kept that one-to-one that they were filmed for nine years and their life changed over those nine years and so i just love that that parting thought that there can be beauty in even something simple like that the big thing in in the media that i'm consuming more and more i want to feel that they care about the characters regardless of what mm-hmm. happens to them. sometimes some bad things can happen but that the the creator's actually care about who the characters are and you need something like that in the office which was always kind of the issue because you have at least a character that is not really meant to be liked in some ways but you have to care about them in michael scott and and they did this is kind of the departure from the british which we could get completely off on but they made him in some ways more of a sympathetic character they show that they liked him more but you do have to care about these characters and so you want to see some sort of closure which is something that i think i deal with whenever i talk about consuming the media is Shows have to end. Storylines have to end. But you also then want to be able to have then a sense of closure or something that lets you understand the finality of it. Well, from there, let's pivot to talking about an ending. Yeah. Uh, so I think we want to we want to hit the kind of the the, the story of the the War of the Spark, specifically in the cards. As of this recording, none of us have, have read the entirety of the novel, and even if we had, we don't really want to get into that. We just want to talk about the story told through the cards and what we know about that, because that's common knowledge to anyone who cares, but if for some reason you don't want to hear that, sorry, we're going to have some spoilers when we talk through this section here. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that our, our we're going to be talking, I mean, this is going to be coming out probably after the set's full release anyway. We are going to be talking about storyline plots that we know of from, very specifically, the cards, not the book yet. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this right now, you've already downloaded and we appreciate that. You don't need to listen. <laughs> we won't, we'll forgive you. And that's yeah. true for all of our episodes. We just like numbers. <laughs> yeah, there's no listens numbers. There's just download numbers. So that's all. That's too complex <laughs> of math for goblins yeah. anyways. Right. Yeah. We couldn't even deal with that if we knew how. <laughs> yeah. So I think we know a brief run through the beginning of it because we're mostly, we want to talk about this closing off of narrative space and things. So the conclusion is what we want to kind of talk about. But the, the run up to that is, you know, Bolas has had for the last, what, four blocks or something. He's been building this plot and plan and we've been seeing it going on. We've been seeing pieces of it where the Gatewatch interacts with it, but we haven't seen the whole thing until now. And that plan was... He invade, used the planar bridge to invade Ravnica with an army of Eternals. 
uh, and then set up a planeswalker trap to pull planeswalkers here and then keep them from leaving so that he could apparently consume their sparks for power. What we knew up until now was that he wanted to reascend to basically old walker status, mm-hmm. which we've talked about on the show, basically godlike and not god in the sense of how we've seen gods in magic, yeah. but unlimited power that's levels of kind of needed to be nerfed in order to have them be cards. Right. Can create planes, can destroy planes, can basically yeah. never die, etc. Also, I yeah. would like to note before we move on from this and I miss an opportunity for a good bit, uh Planeswalker Trap, it sounds like a terrible board game. Oh my god, but now <laughs> But who now owns that? Hasbro Oh my god, does Hasbro own that? Hasbro, get at me. Yeah, well, I mean, it, as long as we do it well, we can just Kickstarter it. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. We know somebody if, who's got a 3D printer, I'm sure. I want to see it. Hasbro <laughs> owns Mousetrap. Oh, my God. Oh, it's just the exact same game, except instead of mice, it's just Jace. <laughs> I, I want to see that. Anyway, tangents. Bolus's whole plan is now in motion. He's ripping sparks out of people left and right. That's where we're at. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so he kills two that we have confirmed in the cards. Am I correct in that? Yes. The only two we have confirmed. Well, and Dak Faden isn't confirmed in the cards. He's confirmed in the uh, preview trailer for this. Okay. Um, Okay. They they show show him. Yeah. They show him in the, in the intro scene being stabbed in the back by an Eternal, and then the Eternal ripping his spark out of his chest. Um, okay. And Maro confirmed on Blogatog that if your spark is harvested by an Eternal, that it is fatal. The way that that process is, for whatever reason, is a fatal thing. So for what we know, Dak Faden's done. Okay. And And Domi right. Raid is the one that we saw die in cards. On cards, okay. yep. yep. So those two we've seen, I would guess more, but Again, mm-hmm. that's probably in the novel. Um, so those two are killed. And at some point, uh, Liliana, who is leading his army of Eternals, who he he got her service because her contract defaulted after she killed all the demons. So now he holds her contract and literally her life. Um, she decides that she doesn't want to continue helping his plan and she turns the army against him. Then Bolus, being Bolus, I mean at that he just you act you know uses the contract, however whatever magic that involves, and that starts to kill her. Um, and we see Gideon sacrifice himself to to save her. There's some other details we see in there in cards like Gideon writing. Uh, why can't I think of the demon's name? The, the Rakdos. Oh, yeah. Rakdos, yep. Yeah, riding Rakdos into battle, which is just so metal. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it really is. It looks like his album cover. Yeah, Gideon yeah. with the Black Blade riding Rakdos into battle. Yeah. That's like, absolutely yeah, Led Zeppelin five. That's some, like, Swedish death metal, like fantasy <laughs> death metal right there. Like, fancy death metal. <laughs> Not yeah, just it's fancy. I, I mean, I've, I've listened, listened to my share of battle lore doing metal about like literally they have a song about the Rohirrim and then we see um in the cards D Spark and then Prison Realm we we see Liliana as she didn't die use the Eternals to take Bolus's spark away 
uh, somehow not killing him in that process. I was like contradicting literally what Morrow said. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I presumably because that, but... maybe because she's in control. There's something else going on. Maybe Bullis put in a safety valve. We have yeah. to read the book to find out. I think that's what we're going to have to read to find out. Yeah, and then he and then prison realm like he's he's getting sent and imprisoned in the meditation realm. So where like, he the, wanted to honestly be the entire time. Yeah, they just they just banished him. That's that's like when you get grounded and sent to your room where all your <laughs> video games are anyway. Yes. You know, I I do have to say, Hobbs, I think prison realm. Uh, being being uh, revealed, being previewed, confirms your theory that all along, uh, the the Legends card was a a sort of a, a future site esque preview of of uh, Bolas's future. I actually, I I um I, I was less on that. I think that future site. I think that, we that, all knew that was what you meant. But I what I meant was that's where he started and what he wanted to return to. It all comes full circle, mm. and it is. Yes. Yep. He literally became the Twilight Zone episode, and I was really glad to have the number of people who responded to me with understanding <laughs> what that episode was. Yes. So with with that happening, we kind of we want to talk about like this idea. And Joe, this was was your topic, I believe, um, talking about the closing off of narrative space, because, you know, here um, Nicole Bolas is the big obvious is, is one of the big villains. They've quote unquote, you know, closed off the narrative space. They've resolved this particular arc, but they didn't kill him, mm-hmm. which means that there's still some space for narrative here. On the other hand, they did kill at least three planeswalkers, right? which closes off their story space. Yeah, well, and that's something, this is something that I think was one of the first topics that we talked about off air as a cast, you know, when we were doing brainstorming stuff, at least I I know Hobbs, you and I threw this around, Um, but we've sort of been been thinking about this for a while, and it's just, you know, this this seems like the perfect time to talk about it, because we do have some major characters bite the dust, Um, and I think... So I I know that a lot of people have been upset about the way that specifically Gideon's story has been handled. I know a lot of people wanted to see his art continue and see him make other choices and, and grow more. Um, I've got my own thoughts on that. But I, I think specifically in the sense of story space, uh, I, I do think it's it's kind of a bummer because... Gideon is such a well-liked character that you don't get to see more of that. That that's that's something that can evoke a really um I mean we we saw it online. It can evoke a really emotional and really strong emotional response. Um that said, I think it is interesting, you know, that you 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 Alex especially draw the line with or draw the parallel, the the flip side the other thing mm-hmm. <laughs> with with Bolas where yeah they're closed they closed off the story but whereas like Gideon they broke off the doorknob they just turned the lock for Bolas you know what I mean like yeah they they it's not completely donezo but we know for now at least it's you know un, until he breaks out of his prison cell and becomes the greatest you know escape artist in the multiverse move over Harry Houdini that 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 arc is closed off. And when has Ugin's plans to imprison something ever gone wrong? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never. Yeah. <laughs> Got him. Got yeah. Him. No, and 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 that's 
that's really interesting. It's it's. I think it it shows a change in in how Wizards is doing their storytelling, uh, and the structure that they're using. Um, you look the last few years, they've had a f- several major threats, and and the two that they've resolved recently, they left both uh, Nicole Bolas and Emrakul alive. They've sealed both of them, and with with question marks around how when they'll get out. More so with Emrakul because there's this the very heavy suggestion that Emrakul chose the this to be sealed, not even really suggestion. They they said it, but <clears> you, <throat> you had to read it in the story. Um, but in both of these cases, they they dealt with these villains, but they didn't end those stories. Uh, to add on to that, I think you can argue too that they did the same thing with the Phyrexians, even though yes. that does uh, or the new Phyrexians, I guess, even though that does that arc took place before um, this era of storytelling that you're talking about. Um, you know, they, we had the war on new Phyrexia. We had some of the ramifications of that, but then, you know, we, we moved away from it for all we know. They're still there festering, growing their army. And I think a lot of us thought that they were going to be involved in, in this story arc at the end of it. You know, we, we kind of thought, Oh, maybe they're going to be the eternal sort of role, you know? Um, yeah. So I, you know, that's another thing too, where it's like the levy is about to burst, you know, at, at one point it's not a closed off story. It's just shut temporarily. Yeah. And, and, I think that kind of brings me to kind of how I want to break this down, looking at, at wizards kind of storytelling through the life of, of magic, the gathering. Um, and I, and you too tell me what you think of this, this, I kind of came up with. So I had just one little, not really soundbite, but I had kind of one central idea that I wanted to talk about kind of the changing of this narrative um, that I'll get to in a little bit. And as I, tried to write that up in my in the show notes i have this massive explosion of of <laughs> these nesting uh bullet points of things that kind of just came to me and i realized i kind of i broke the the story of magic into three major movements um the first one are single stories that span multiple blocks but that have a definitive end to them mm-hmm. and there were two of them uh the weatherlight story which ran from almost the beginning of the game, basically antiquities, though I think they threw a few random things in and sort of went back and retrofit that to fit into the story they created. But basically it ran in antiquities through the invasion block. And then that quote unquote ended the Phyrexians closed off the storyline. It was finished. The next two blocks, Odyssey and Onslaught, both had a, had a contiguous storyline that fit in the, the two blocks together. Um, they had their own storylines that concluded within themselves, but there was some events that spanned between the two. So I'm kind of fitting that into this movement. Following that was when they first really left Dominaria. During the Weatherlight story, there were a few sets in other places, but all of those still tied into the Weatherlight story, which was centered on Dominaria. The next five blocks one of which was a visit back to dominaria (laughs) but four of them all went to four new planes that we hadn't seen before all five of these blocks the mirrodin kamigawa ravnica time spiral and lorwyn shadowmore blocks all had one-shot stories that were self-contained within their block and I think this was kind of the second movement then, where they decided they wanted to explore the, the multiverse. They wanted to build things beyond just a single plane and a couple that were sort of in its orbit. 
which was which was cool and it was a good way to expand the storytelling of the game um this was also what was invasion like eight years into the game um so or no less than that but so this was kind of the game maturing and them trying to develop it further um after Shadowmore is kind of when i consider the the third movement to start and it's it's not a complete clear cut there's a little bit of blurry blurred lines here but i think alara forward is when they started this sort of continuous narrative every block has events that they resolve within the span of the block but every block also has events and characters that are supposed to span further than that and i I was observing hobbs before uh, we started recording that you look at these first three blocks in this third movement all three of them introduce a new threat that have been the only three threats we've seen for the last nine years alara followed by zendikar followed by shadows or uh, scars of mirrodin each of them introduce a new threat and we've been dealing with those threats for the last nine years uh, specifically bolus coming back in alara and the uh, eldrazi in the zendikar block from um kind of a gameplay perspective also we are seeing this shift in the way that we have done um blocks and how game has gameplay has gone in almost that same time period alex because we actually moved from this the typical for magic the gathering was big set that introduced all these concepts small set small set um that's kind of been what we have had in magic actually for most of the game so we went we had that happening over and over and over again and then finally we we hit uh the uh zendikar block when they decide that they've, they've always struggled to with then how do you make things meaningful in their later sets? How do you make things meaningful in set number three and two? And how do you have the mechanics because you've got these things? So they, they tried in Zendikar to go big set, small set, and then another big set that was still in the storyline but was meant to be drafted on its own. It, it was actually a full set. Then they moved away from... They tried to, a couple of things with then moving away what we have now they've done that a few times where they were doing these these third sets that were a little bit different Innistrad ends up getting one um they then try to do where we're at now which is we are going to stay on planes as long as it takes for us to tell a story yep um we don't want to be constrained by the three we don't want to be constrained by making big sets and small sets sets are going to be the same size and we're going to stay as long as we need to tell a story, which means we can do more one shots. We can do more longer if we need to episodic where we can have this war of the spark, which is three big sets instead mm-hmm. of what it would have been before. Their storytelling has kind of paralleled that in some way where they are now moving towards something that Alex, you started talking about a little bit off air early on. We, it looks like they may be moving to more almost comic book style storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's, um, as again, as the game has matured and as wizards has been telling these stories and trying to find better ways to tell the stories, this, you know, quote unquote, I'm just calling it like a continuous storyline structure. I I'm sure there's an actual term out there somewhere, but yeah, it it looks like comics. It, it, there's a few things, comics or soap operas, even like the, the Marvel cinematic universe is doing this to an extent where you're going to tell a self-contained story within a given piece, within one set, within these three sets. But you want 
these storylines to be going on sort of behind the scenes or kind of in the middle ground where people can see it, but it's not the main focus right away. Throughout years, years and years, you want these people and these characters and these events to continue to have ripples and to keep showing up. Um, it works really well for the game of Magic because it's a game that comes out several times every year. There's a new set four times a year, even with one being a core set they can kind of do something else with. There's still this continuous release of product that needs story, and they want the story to build in. Um, and by having this continuous storyline, you're able to have people continue to feel ownership, continue to feel... Um, <clears throat> parallels with or not parallels and not even ownership is the right thing but investment continue to feel investment in the story because of these characters um as the things as the storyline moves forward and it works really well for that style of game now one of the downsides which we kind of saw with the you know gatewatch fatigue quote unquote is that in those storylines one of the potential issues is you have a hard time closing off stories because when you do you have the potential to run out of story which you can't do this is like a shark it has to keep moving and so they have <laughs> to find ways to keep this storyline going without it feeling super contrived which is why i think they decided to spend three blocks introducing three villains that they didn't resolve right away mm-hmm. and then we've gone back you know and then we went to innistrad for a little while as a as a sort of Aside, we went to Theros as an aside that weren't related to these threats, but then Innistrad ended up become, you know, being inflicted with one of them, being pulled into that conflict with one of those threats. And so that allows them, by introducing those big threats that they don't resolve, it allows them to continue to build storylines and kind of weave things in and out so that they're hopefully reduce this fatigue and and i think until they hit the gatewatch where they were going to tell the specific stories of these few people they didn't hit that as much and now they're finding ways to mix those in a little bit more bring in some different characters and push some back yeah and i think too i mean you sort of touched on this but i i think it's really compelling that when we have those one shots when we have some of those aside stories as you put it it doesn't take a lot to seed some elements of the main thread in there while not making that the central focus, you know? That can be, you can have those bits, those little clues, the, the breadcrumb trail sort of, mm-hmm. you know, d- you know, just dribbled in all on, the, on that story, on that block story. And I, and I think that's actually really rewarding, too, for a lot of us Vorthoses, because, you know, we're, it, it's sort of like the Vorthos version of um, the Johnny personality in, in play, mm-hmm. where like a Johnny sees, not a, a Johnny, but a Johnny sees, <laughs> um, you know, a card in a set and goes, wow, what a weird effect that doesn't really seem like it fits with anything else. I need to find a way to build around this and make it a super cool, weird combo. Uh, you know, a a Vorthos Johnny, a, a, a Vani, if you will, uh, sees some of those breadcrumb elements of story, you know, just dabbled in and goes, oh, I wonder where that's going to pay off in the future. And it really is rewarding when you see those, when you start to identify those and, and, and follow those threads through and they pay off. You go, I knew that. I saw that coming. You know, like that's that is build up. Are, are you all ready for, for like a nine year old hot take? Uh-huh. Yeah. As you're talking, Joe, it just hit me, and I don't know why my brain just put the two and two together and said, this is a great looking four, but 
uh, Tezzeret showing up in New Phyrexia was Iron Man, like, w- was just like Iron Man showing up at the end of the Hulk. Yeah, like a post credit oh. scene. And, and it's, it's... That's a good analogy. Wizard, wizard, yeah, analogy. There's the word I was looking for, and I pulled simile out for some reason. (laughs) What you're kind of pointing out is they they may have been able to retrofit because they had set this up. That they they left themselves the ambiguity, or at least the storylines, that somebody was able to take the threads that were there and make them fit without killing what was already there and really kind of shoehorning it to try to get it to fit. That, like, and that's kind of the beautiful yes. thing about good writing too, is you wrap up some of the big questions that your readers or your audience has, but you leave mm-hmm. enough dangling that you can go off of it later. Here, here's a poke behind the curtain, by the way, for, for creating narratives and writing narratives. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll coach this by saying some writers have a plan and some writers plant seeds for their plan, but a lot of writers you don't necessarily have a plan or you have somewhat of a plan, but you don't know exactly how that plan is going to work because six books from now, 10 movies from now, three seasons from now, you don't know what it's going to look like exactly. So instead of trying to predict out a hundred percent and lay seeds beforehand, what you do is you give yourself a bunch of potential outs, just little Mm -hmm. nuggets. Then three years from now, you look back and say, which of these fits the best? That one. And the rest of them just become red herrings. Well, and that's if any of you play uh, role playing games, you know, and you wonder how is your game master so good? How's your dungeon master so good at making a good story? It's because they do exactly that. They spend three or four hours going, "Okay, I'm going to make four different plot lines for you to follow. And then the group goes completely off the rails and picks a different one. And they go, cool, I'm going to follow that one then. Because, you know, yes and. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a certain famous author who wrote seven books. And I've heard people say things like, oh, they knew in book one that they were going to set this up. And I'm like, I can't say for sure because I don't know them. I've never spoken with them. And and they may or may not say. But I sincerely doubt they knew in book one how book seven was going to work. They just laid down some some successful seeds and then as they got deeper into the books they picked which ones to grow that would fit the best and went forward with that well i think what you could say is they knew that there was going to be a big conflict that would need Mm -hmm. to be resolved you know like they probably knew who those two the who what characters would be there for the for that conflict yes and and some of how to get to that conflict which is the important part in some ways is the journey yep i i would say that they probably did not know everything (laughs) <laughs> no, and and I think the same thing happened with Wizards here, because we look at those first three blocks where they introduce those three villains, Bola shows up in all of them. Bola shows up in Alara himself. Bola sends Sarkin and Chandra to awaken the Eldrazi, and Bola sends uh, Tezzeret to research the Phyrexians. Now, as we get deeper into the storyline and years come past and other things happen, notice how neither the Eldrazi or the Phyrexians show up on Ravnica? Because... Turns out they weren't needed as part of the storyline or they didn't fit as part of that storyline. But it still works to have Bolas looking in on all these things because he's that much of a planner. He's that much of a forward thinker. He's going to investigate everything he can and grab just the things that will fit the pieces that he needs. And so Wizards could totally have him show up in three or four different places and not use any of it because it still fits Bolas's character and it still builds this overall flavor, this overall narrative of Bolus, you know, the chess master. Mm-hmm. So 
what does this mean in a real world application? We've talked about this from a storytelling narrative perspective. Um, what does this kind of mean for us when it comes to either crafting our own narrative or understanding ourselves? Like successful people, by and large, they talk about luck, and and there's definitely elements of of uh, of privilege and a lot of success too. But one of the things that a lot of successful people will talk about is l- luck for them is was being able to take opportunities when they saw them. It wasn't so much that they were lucky and that things just dropped in. It's that they positioned themselves in a way to take advantage of opportunities that showed up. Now, privilege makes it a lot easier to be able to take advantage of those opportunities usually. But this is something similar, talking about the planting little seeds and things, that if you give yourself opportunities, sometimes you don't know necessarily what's going to grow. But those oppor- something will or something can. And five years down the line, whichever, whatever has grown, you can move forward with. Does, does that make sense? Is that too round? Absolutely. No, that makes no, a I lot mean, of that's, sense. That's kind of uh, chaos theory mm-hmm. posits that you can put yourself into situations to capitalize on randomness or chance. We know that things are statistically going to happen by random. So uh, they do talk about this when we're doing job searches. The job search is not linear. Most people mm-hmm. treat it as if it is. You do an application, you fill out a resume, you apply for jobs. Um, And even in a good job market, that's not necessarily the case. And doing things like putting yourself into uh, somewhere where you might be able to make a connection or make a, have an interaction that might help you land a job, by getting into those situations as much as you can, job fairs, going to things that are community events, something like that, you're trying to make the unlikely more likely. Yeah. And I think just to sort of dovetail onto that, uh, but sort of looking at the other end of the process, whether it's a job or a personal relationship or something, um, I think it's always, there are those moments where you know how to, you know that it's time to close off that thread. You know that it's time to quit that job or, you know, walk away from the friendship that's gotten, you know, sort of toxic or whatever. Um, But I think a lot of those, a lot of those moments, you know, you do you don't want to just close it off abruptly. You don't want to just make it a, a, a bad transition because you have opportunity. Those could still be opportunities in the future. I think about a lot of jobs that have been awful for me. Um, but I didn't, I didn't go out on a bad note because I want that reference or I want to someday be able to work with those people or see them on the street and just be able to say hello without any sort of guilt, you know? Um, so I, I think that's another element of this is story space in your life goes on after these individual sagas, you know, don't close it off and, and make it uncomfortable when one of those plot threads comes back up. So one thing that interested me when we're talking about um, this from the perspective of storytelling is this idea of one of the reasons that I think we may have hit fatigue Um Successful storytelling to me at times actually involves exactly what Alex was talking about in what happens off camera, happens what isn't shown. Um, Hitchcock is very famous for talking about not showing certain things like deaths. So his movies, even though they, they wouldn't have had necessarily the special effects to do graphic, gruesome deaths, he talks about not wanting to show that because he would rather your mind 
fill that in because whatever you fill in is going to be more meaningful and personal and in some ways more horrific because you are filling it in with your own self. Um, one of the things that I find that was interesting here is I think we hit fatigue in part because they showed too much at times. So I was somebody that wanted Bolas to come back. I mean, we know this is the biggest Bolas apologist in the world, and I'm, we'll talk about this four days on end. Uh, and I will, would love to do just even a whole episode with just what motivates him because I do think he is more three-dimensional than what people give him credit for. But what makes Bolas interesting is seeing that he had his hands in everything, not seeing Bolas all the time. And we got to the point where we were seeing Bolas all the time. Mm-hmm. They needed to close off story space simply for that reason. Simply for the rest of the story to breathe. I mean, right. I think that's that's what made Amonkhet specifically, not the whole Amonkhet block necessarily, but that's what made the set of Amonkhet, the story of Amonkhet, so creepy and so mm. good for that matter is because we knew Bolas was there. He was everywhere on that plane, but he was not there. Right. Yes. And that—that right. that is the looming. That's the Hitchcock right yeah. there. That's you know something's yeah. outside, but you can't see it. So, without spoiling too much, but this is—I mean, this is like doing spoilers for twenty-year-old movies. Um, the movie Signs, if people have never seen it, is a. Uh, um, oh, he was dead the whole time. No, Wait. come on, <laughs> dang it! Close. Rosebud Very was close. the sled. Yes. That movie worked really well for me until the third act. Mm. Because until the third act, the movie was goofy. It was quirky. It was like a Twilight Zone episode. Kind of a little over the top. Kind of not, you know, it, it wasn't a perfect movie. It wasn't, it, it just, it worked, right? Mm-hmm. Until they basically decided to show the actual aliens. Yes. The movie was creepier when you didn't see anything other than what was going on, which is when Twilight Zone works the best. When you don't fully just see everything, you're not handed it. And they ruined, in my opinion, because it was a movie I was enjoying up until that point, they ruined it by having this convoluted ending to it, which we know that M. Night Shyamalan does, he's hit or miss, he can be, for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but he is hit or miss, with his endings and his twisting and signs missed in part to me because they showed too much magic had gotten to the point where they were showing a little too much. And, and even that is with our heroes too. Yeah. We we're not giving room for returning of characters that we wanted to see grow or see their storyline expand, knowing that that means we have to have something cut off or closed. It's it's also sort of the whole, you know, the old saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Or as my dad would say, absinthe makes the heart grow fonder. But that's a whole other topic. Um, <laughs> but the, I think that we got, we, we almost got a little bit the other way because we knew what was going to happen in War of the Spark. We almost got a little bit the other way with the uh, Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance stories because they lasted so long but it's exactly that it's exactly that model that i think wizards is doing the right thing magic story is doing the right thing by giving us those world building fill out pieces also so that we can see that stuff that happens off screen usually and get a little bit of a break from our our favorite characters 
so that when they come back, we're like, ah, oh, heck yeah, it's Jace. Or, uh, you know, ah, angry Minotaur dad. Yeah. Yeah. We want to, we want to speculate. We want, we want to think. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, Joe, is life models much closer to comic books and now the storytelling structures of magic than perhaps novels. Yeah. And I think the real takeaway from this is that no one's ever really dead in the comics. And so therefore guard your homes against zombies, specifically like blue metal covered zombies. But didn't we determine with Renee that the portal was the real problem? The portal is a problem. Zombies are always the problem. problem. Yeah. We could deal with zombies. What we don't understand is way worse. Speaking of portal, does anyone here want cake? Wow. The cake is a lie. Oh, this is a triumph. (laughs) That's our show. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter or email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, you can do so at patreon.com slash goblinlorepod. This episode of Goblin Lore was hosted by Hobbs Q, who you can find on Twitter at Hobbs Q. This episode was written and co-hosted by Alex Newman, who you can find on Twitter at Alexander New M. Engineering, editing, and production for this episode by Joe Redeman, who you can find on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Our music is by Vintergotten, who you can find at Vintergotten.com. That's Winter G-A-T-A-N.com. Logo by Stephen Raphael on Twitter at Stephen Raffle. Goblin Lore is a presentation of Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find at hipstersofthecoast.com or at hipstersmtg on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>